And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall, joined as always by Gene Prenti and Chris McCormick. We're back, finally. Last week I had another co-host. LKD did a nice job in Augusta. We'll recap Club Test Live from the brewery. But it is good to see your smiling faces once again. How are we doing? Doing well. Yeah, no complaints on my end. I actually have a pullover on today in uh, Scottsdale, despite the fact that uh, we're almost in the middle of April. It's uh, it's kind of odd. It was it was a little little chilly this morning, and uh, only supposed to be a high of seventy five today. So, in Phoenician terms, that's uh, that's grounds for a pullover. <laughs> so I, I I played golf yesterday in Las Vegas at the wind. It topped out at. 58 degrees and the winds were blowing at 35 miles per hour that wasn't the best part the best part was flying in on monday because the winds gusted up to 70 and we sat on the tarmac in san diego for two hours till we could finally take off and i kind of wish we didn't when we tried to land because i thought the wings were going to be pulled off the airplane so anyways Glad to be here. Glad to be back. I say, other than that, would you, sh- you know, great flight? Would right? you shoot? I want. I want to know. Uh, 30, 30, 30 plus. What do you? What's what's Gene shooting at the wind? Uh, shot about a. I think it was an eighty nine. It That's was. Not bad. You know. No, there's two. There's two things that I don't do residing in San Diego. I don't play in the rain and I don't play when the wind's over 15, 20 miles an hour. And I was playing with two guys from Oklahoma they and they're like, Oh, this is a, this is a Wednesday day. in Oklahoma. Yeah, you no know, big and, deal. I, and I'm just, but I never, I hit two, three woods into 180 and 190 yard part. Of the Love that. <laughs> and you're standing, you're standing over the three wood and you're just like, you know, first off, your confidence is completely shaken. You have no, you know, no focus. But the other is you're standing over it and the wind dies a little bit. And you're like, did I make the right choice? And then it comes back up and you're like, yes, I made the right choice. And it goes back down. And you're like, did I make the right choice? So, you know, you're done by the time you're in your backswing going yeah, out. No matter what you do. That was yeah. the Saturday in, in Phoenix wasn't much better. I played Saturday. And it was right around the same. It was it was a little warmer. It was in the sixties, but it was uh, yeah, it was it was high twenties to thirties, sustained with gusts over forty. And the golf course that we played, uh, every single green is plateaued and just tabletops. <laughs> oh, it was uh, it was interesting to to hit some shots into these greens and watch them move. You know, thirty plus feet in the air, and then hit the green and just go the exact direction that the wind is blowing them and it made for made for interesting golf and i i do have to say that i hit the ball really really well didn't lose a ball all day and shot 82 wow nice i i I experienced for the first time to that point uh judging the wind on a putt yes that's a new phenomenon (laughs) it's uh, (laughs) you're like yeah you're like this if this isn't hard enough now i have to factor in wind into this equation so yeah downhill down grain with the wind <laughs> is is always interesting <laughs> yeah the caddy was literally called he's like well you know 
it's uphill, but the wind's behind you. So it probably nets out. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> are we really doing this? But yeah, yes, 30 we mile were. an hour tailwind no, on your are. putt. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that Chris actually played with the winds over, you know, five, 10 miles an hour. I thought that was a no go. I had you're Mr. Pristine. I had clients in from out of town, which was the ah, there only we go. reason. Had, the to, had to bite the only reason go. that I agreed to that this. That makes sense. Yeah. And it was uh, it was over an hour drive from my house. Tea time was at 7.30 in the morning, and it was blistery by my standards. So speaking of recent rounds, I was checking out social media yesterday, and, and Monday, the Monday after the Masters, is the Masters Media Day. So for 28 of of the media members that are there for the week, they get their number pulled from a from a lottery. Now, I have heard stories that the lottery isn't exactly uh random. Just uh pull your hand in <laughs> and randomly pull out. Yeah, it's it's maybe curated a bit. <laughs> sure. Anyway, I saw I saw a guy who played it on Monday. I think his name is Johan Benson. And he's uh, he's a Canadian, and he shot seventy four. Wow, he's a shot seventy four with an eagle on one. Wow, hold out with uh, I think he said I think I saw he mentioned a gap wedge <clears throat> or a lob wedge from uh, from inside hundred yards, probably a lob wedge. Anyway, shot seventy four. But here's the most impressive part about it: he somehow talked the the caddy into letting him play the mass the tournament tees so he didn't have to play the member tees and he shot 74 so the only hole he didn't play it as far back as he could was on one because the head pro and a photographer and a couple of other uh, other green coats are hanging around on the first tee but the rest of the way he played the back tees and shot 74 that's wow. really that's really effing wow. good wow wow yeah. I'm uh, I'm I'm friends with on Facebook this guy Trip Davis who's a golf course architect and he posted something interesting on 18 on Monday said they were working on 18 to restore the greens and the bunkers so I wonder if I wonder if he had to I wonder if the guys playing had to work around that I was really surprised I hadn't heard anything about it he posted a picture. <clears throat> That's interesting. So they're already they're already working on it. I mean, the course is only open. Changes. Yeah, course is only open six months out of the year. They're closed um, May through October, and then you know they open back up. But I know it's funny because the the year that I played it, and there was the potential for rain on Sunday. The and they played in threesomes back in 2019. And somebody in that was playing asked, actually a former colleague of mine at Yahoo Sports, shout out Jay Busby, asked, well, what do we do if if the rain pushes it back a day? And then the, the guy from Augusta said, well, you know, the good news is you can enter again next year, but the bad news is you're not playing. And one of the reasons is because the members are chomping at the bit to play because hmm. May's just around the corner and they've got limited play in after the tournament to be able to, to log some rounds. So, um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they're, they're, I mean, right after the tournament's done, they're already starting to plan on, on changes of the golf course. I'm sure we'll see some next year. We saw a couple this year, but yeah, that is interesting that they are already 
working on stuff around 18. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, before we get into this week's topic, I want to let you know that this week's edition of Fully Equipped is brought to you by our friends at Rockform and the G-Rock wireless golf speaker. You've heard me talk about and rave about, I should say, the G-Rock. If you want to check it out for yourself, rockform.com, promo code FE20 for 20% off the speaker. I'll give you the rundown of the benefits. If you don't know them by now, then you probably don't listen to the podcast that often, and that is disappointing. It has a crazy powerful magnet that allows you to attach to a golf cart. No clamps le- no clamps needed, but it does have a carabiner clip if you want to attach it to your golf bag when you're going for a walk around the golf course. It has two 8-watt speakers for some really good sound. It's waterproof, drop-resistant, 24 hours of battery life. As I've mentioned before, that kind of comes out to about five rounds of golf in a single charge. It is one of the best out there. I, I would say it's probably the best out there. The boys over on Subpar also rave about the Rockform G-Rock. I love it too. So go check it out for yourself, rockform.com, promo code FE20 for 20% off. All right. Topic number one this week. And it's, we're not even going to kick it off with the Masters. Look, I, I think if we're talking gear, like the gear priority list, like we start with these Tiger Slam irons. <clears throat> now we've talked about them before on the pod yep. when they were initially brought up for auction. And, you know, there was talk of, oh, possibly, you know, maybe a million dollars. Maybe we can get to a million dollars for these Tiger Slam irons. And if you don't know what the Tiger Slam irons are, um, back in 2010, a guy by the name of Steve Mata, who was a tour rep for Titleist, had a set of these irons, uh, Titleist 681Ts and a two Vokey wedges that belonged to Tiger. And he claimed that these irons and wedges were from the Tiger Slam, which is, as I mentioned before, the most dominant stretch of golf in the history of the game. Tiger wins four majors in a row. He's winning by 15 at Pebble. It's just bonkers what he's doing. Nobody's coming close to Tiger at that point in time. I mean, he really didn't have a peer out there. It was Tiger and then everybody else. So... Back at the 2001 Buick Open, Tiger receives new irons and wedges. He gifts his irons and wedges to Steve. Steve puts them up at auction. Tiger claims, his agent, Mark Steinberg, claims, look, these aren't legitimate. No chance. Tiger has both sets of irons. These aren't from the Tiger Slam. Now, they never claim or confirm if if they were Tigers. I think we can kind of tell that they were based on the wear mark on the eight iron. It's dimed yeah. out. They're yeah, it's it's it, they're tigers. I think we could all agree here, boys. They they are tigers irons. The only question is, were they from the Tiger Slam? Now, because Tiger and his camp come out and delegitimize these irons, they only sell for fifty seven thousand back in twenty ten. And a Houston businessman buys them, and twelve years later he puts them up for auction. And so, as the story goes, maybe they hit a million bucks. Well. You might have missed it because the auction ended late Saturday night going into Sunday. They ended at $5.156 million. I I can't believe that my $2 million bid didn't hold up. 
I, was I can't believe my $3 million bid didn't hold up. I thought $3 million was good. I, I went back into my money tree, grabbed a, grabbed a couple, you know, another mill. I was ready. I was I had $3 million ready to go, but somebody outbid me at 5.156. Gene, Gene, let's see the irons. Let's Gene's see the quiet. irons, Gene. Gene's quiet. So I think he was probably, <laughs> Gene was at $5 million. I know Gene. Yeah, that, that robot I, I, that I, robot money is good. So I'm pretty I, sure. I, 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 I started sweating at five and had to bow out. There was a there was an anonymous bidder that just he had nerves of steel and I didn't. I flinched. It's that simple. You Producer know, Mark, you got him. You got him at home in the trophy case next to the the rock form speaker that Gene and I haven't got yet. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was looking at you while Jay Wall was talking. I I was running a little late today, so I kind of figured maybe Mark had my Rockform speaker in the booth and was waiting to give it to me after we got done. So I'm I'm leaning over looking at him and I'm going, you know, you got my speaker and uh, I got nothing. I got nothing. Did you notice, by the way, that I didn't mention that at all? I I figured it was hey, probably played out. I didn't I didn't want to didn't want to belabor just, it. I'm just going to chime in that I could have used it because trying to listen to music on your iPhone with the winds blowing 30 miles an hour doesn't quite work. So, you know. Yeah. No, I, Gene, uh, I can just, relate just, to that. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I, I got just guilted saying. into getting an iPhone. I have the iPhone now. And lo and behold, the speaker sucks. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> so. Okay. You know. But are, let's, get, let's get back on topic here. Are we All surprised right. by the price? Are you, are you yes. shocked? As I are you as shocked as I am that these sold for over five million? Because I thought maybe they would get to seven fifty. A million would have been. I, I mean, an auction house's job is to to sell these irons to prospective bidders. Sure. And saying that they're a million dollar iron set, I guess plus the wedges, a million dollar set. I get that, but I mean, they quickly passed five hundred thousand, and I thought, oh my gosh! And that was with like two weeks to go before the auction even ended. They already over 500k, so yeah, I I am stunned, and then it makes me wonder at this point if a set of irons and wedges from the Tiger Slam, assuming purportedly that they're from the Tiger Slam, Tiger's Camp again came out and said that they weren't legitimate, they were not from the Tiger Slam, and uh, it makes me wonder what Tiger Scotty would go for, the putter that's won 14 of 15 majors. If the irons and wedges from the Tiger Slam, what is what does that putter go for if it ever went to auction? Ten million? Fifteen? Yeah. Well, it just it just you know, not not to get off topic, but just real quick, I, I've given up on economics. I don't understand economics anymore. I thought I did. Uh we have hyperinflation, yet we're booming out an economy, low employment. And the one thing that I've realized, like with the clients that I deal with. There's an insane amount of money out there, especially amongst the one percenters. And it's almost like prices don't matter anymore, that they that they're just looking to, you know, people are buying NFTs, which I still don't understand what they are, but they're the digital club. images that supposedly you you own that are going for a million dollars. So this is something tangible, at least. Yeah, the price is stupid, but everything is stupid right now. Nothing makes sense to me economically as far as like what is value versus, you know, I just, I think that as a as a society, especially the, the high end of the society, they've just accumulated so much wealth 
they're starting to spend it on kind of crazy things. Well, the alternative investments, I I totally agree with you, Gene. Alternative investments have exploded. I mean, if you look at not just golf memorabilia, which seems to be having its moment right now, but when we saw sports cards, they've they've just exploded in price. Uh, Tickets from from important historical games are now spiking really hard. I think somebody said that they were up f- over five hundred percent from from where they used yeah. to be. It it is it's we're really seeing a lot of investors get into alternative investments beyond the the markets, the normal stuff that they're probably already heavily invested in. And but it does make me wonder. I mean, if if you buy these irons for five million, you're probably not worried about an ROI here. I mean, you're, you're probably keeping them. Maybe maybe you're a diehard Tiger fan. I, that's my guess. But I do wonder if, let's say, 10, 20 years from now, if these irons were to resurface, would they go for more than five million? Would they go for less than five million? Because we don't know where the markets are going. It, I feel I feel as if a purchase like this. You would think that they would go up in value as time goes on, but yeah, this it, with inflation and every like it just the markets in general are just so crazy right now. You really can't make heads or tails of <clears throat> of why this is sold for this and this sells for X and are they going to be sustainable? It it really feels like the wild west right now, and I think that's why over five billion for a set of irons and wedges that Tiger used during the tiger slam, it's like nothing surprises me anymore. It's just, it's just the chaos and craziness of the world we live in. It's, I mean, it's definitely bizarre to watch. And I mean, I, I kind of scour eBay for memorabilia and I will, I will dabble occasionally in sports memorabilia and things of that sort and stuff that I had picked up three, four, five years ago. Now I'm seeing in the market. I mean, it's, octuple what I paid for it, you know, five years ago. And I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm holding it and I'm going, you know, is this, is this the time to sell? Is it going to keep going up? And I think when it comes to something like the, the tiger slam irons, like what happens as he kind of progresses down his career, does he pick up another major? Does he pick up another, you know, win or two or five or whatever it is that we see out of his kind of tail end of PGA tour career? And I think that will kind of dictate where these things go. You know, if he does somehow catch up to Jack, which is, you know, a big question mark now since the accident, is there a legitimate opportunity for him to, in fact, catch Jack or eclipse Jack? And I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to get close. I think he's going to end up where he's at. And, you know, I, may, I, maybe he, maybe he makes a run for a couple of rounds at the open championship. I mean, there's talk of, is he going to play the PGA? I think he's, yeah. I think he's going to be, st- I mean, the fact that he, that he won another major in 2019. Right. I and mean, that's storybook, that's storybook stuff. I yep. was not expecting him to contend last week. I, I figured, you know, maybe he'd kind of pull a Freddie couples and contend for say 36 or 54, but then eventually fitness starts to become an issue. And he played an amazing round on Thursday and then he looked just absolutely gassed the rest of the way. Yeah, he just looked like he was in pain, like he was tired, just not in golf shape, or at least competitive golf shape for Augusta. I mean, as hilly as that golf course is and the winds and the conditions, I mean, it was a grind every shot, every hole for a lot of those guys. 
Well, and, and I would make the argument that <clears throat> he's, he's a victim of his own success in that when he came on tour, I'm just going to pull a number out. Let's say he had 10 to beat. Now he's got 50 to beat. And that's all due to him. That yeah. is 100% due to him and the success of the game. But at 46, he's got 50 to beat. And most of them are under the age of 30 and they're grinders. And, and, you know, and, and, and so it's like, as he ages, it becomes even more and more difficult because the fields are so deep right now. And I I think, I know we're going to get to this in a second, but I think it, um, you know, the books, the books hasn't been written on Scotty Scheffler and what he's going to do right now. Obviously it's blue skies, but we've seen this with Kepka. We've seen this with, you know, various players where they go on this run, but they can't sustain it. And uh, Rory was another one. And my theory is you get to a point and you're just not that hungry all the time. And what made yep. Tiger so unique and what was so amazing about this Masters <clears throat> looking at the, you know, kind of the the contrast between Tiger coming back and Scotty playing on another planet was – to me, it, you know, it was somewhat bittersweet seeing Tiger because, as as you said, he, he became tired. But what was more fascinating was I looked at his the totality of his career and 15 majors under that kind of, you know, hyper-competitive atmosphere. And I started looking at all these other guys that had gone on runs that are major tour winners, but none of them had been able to sustain it to that level. And... That's what was so wild to watch about Scheffler and to watch and to see Tiger and to just really tip the cap to Tiger and go, in my opinion, he's the GOAT for doing that under hyper-competitive deep fields that he created, you know, by bringing up the success of the, of the sport. No, oh, 100%. The talent pool is so deep. And it's, I mean, it's almost to the point to where anybody could win any week. I mean, all it takes is for you to get hot for four rounds of golf. And next thing you know, now you've got status on tour for the next you know, couple of years and X number of starts. And yeah, it's it, it's fun to watch the amount of talent that there is out there. And the level of competition has definitely improved significantly since that uh, that Tiger effect, for sure. I mean, the, the collegiate players and the high school players that I see coming through uh, just in the, the fitting studio, I'm just going wow, this kid is 15, this kid is 16, putting up 180 plus miles an hour of ball speed, playing to a plus two. I'm going, yep, it's only going to get better. <laughs> well, and, it, and it's like, I have massive respect for Nicholas, but when he teed it up, he had three to four to beat. And sure. it was a country club game. And, it, you know, and, and you tuned in on Sundays for the back nine of tournaments. You know, there wasn't this constant coverage. There wasn't the money. There wasn't all of this that brought in, you know, pro- professional, when I say professional athletes, athletes who could compete in other sports. I mean, golf was always singular in and of itself. And now you've got, you know, unbelievable athletes that are just and internationally that are, that are filling these fields. And it's, you know, it, I, the game's never been healthier in, in my opinion. No, it's, it yeah, wasn't, it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It wasn't too right far now. back. We were talking about Scotty Scheffler and uh, the, the love of his, his tinkering mentality with his gear, Jay wall with, with all the lead tape everywhere. And, you know, kind of the, the Franken set of clubs that he had put together. And I, I just saw, uh, a, 
golf.com may have posted it the the comparison of as good of a year as John Rahm had in 21 and career earnings a little over 7 million and now you look at 22 and Scotty Scheffler's career earnings thus far this year has already eclipsed 10 and you're going you know you you, you got to look at that in comparison and just go wow that's uh something special cuz we're in April one major down three more to go there's a lot more money to be made out there. Yeah, and he's going to make a lot more. I, I don't. I don't think there's anybody that would doubt that. And but you, Chris, you bring up a good point. And again, this is a gear podcast, so we will get back to gear. But the <clears throat> bar continually gets raised every single year. You look at the year that Rom had. I, we're looking at the year Scheffler's had, and we're only in April. And I think this is why we'll never. I, I hate saying never because there's always going to be somebody that's going to come along. That'll be a, you know, there'll be a generational talent. You know, there was, I don't, I'm sure when everybody was watching Nicholas, they never thought that, that there would be a tiger woods. Right. And, you know, now we're seeing what Scheffler's doing and, and, you know, it's still not on the same level as what tiger did in some of his seasons, but it's still pretty damn impressive. I think that's why we maybe will never see a truly dominant player in golf because as you both mentioned, the talent pool nowadays, how polished these kids are coming out of high school, going into college, it's so difficult to get on a run because every week somebody's going to be putting up a number. And it's it's tough. It's tough to be dominant, truly dominant. And I think that's – it's unfortunate because I what Scotty Scheffler's done over the last couple of months is is bonkers. To, to win that much in such a short span of time and to win the Masters. I mean, he was the favorite, but it, normally the favorites don't ever pan out there. It, it's crazy impressive, but I think Tiger set the bar so high when he was in his prime that we look at this and we're like, eh, compare it to, compare it to what Tiger did. I mean, it's impressive, but I mean, Tiger did that. So... Yep. You just kind of, and I'm not. I'm not trying to discount what Scotty's doing, but it is difficult. It's kind of the same way when when pro basketball players are are having a moment. Everybody wants to compare it to well, what did Jordan do? Um, you know, even when LeBron was was in his prime, everybody wanted to compare him to Jordan and and what was Jordan doing in his prime at that time. So it is. It's difficult, and again, that's why I don't think that we're going to see. A truly dominant player. I think what Scheffler's doing is awesome, but I mean, can he keep it up? Is he going to be number? Do we think he's going to be number one by the end of the season? I mean, if you if you were going to look into your crystal ball, what do you think? I'm going to say no. I, I I I'd say no too. You know, but I also, if you would ask me in December, would Scotty Scheffler be number one and the winner of the Masters? I'd say no to that too. <laughs> well, yeah, and that shows you how much shows you how much, right of a Nost- shows you how much of a Nostradamus I am. But yeah. I, I just I don't I don't I, I I think guys like Tiger and guys like Jack they're just built different in their DNA, and and I think it's I think it's as simple as you know you, you brought up Jordan and you read and and watch these documentaries. He would manufacture grudges to keep that edge. He needed, but that's just sick, right? I mean, you know, that you that you're like, you need an edge at all times to compete on that level. I think Tiger was on that, well, obviously, but 
I don't think normal human beings, you know, even elite athletes are that way. And so to keep that going, I think it becomes exhausting and you go, Hey, I love golf and golf's great, but man, I'm worth X million dollars. And, you know, I got a beautiful wife, beautiful house. Why do I need to be mad and angry and driving all the time? So yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, last week, if you listen to the episode from Savannah River Brewery, we had a chance to do the podcast from there. We also did Club Test Live. The video is going to come out, but I figure I'd share a little bit of the the fun that ensued. So I was, I'll be honest, I wasn't really sure what kind of video content we were going to be pumping out last week, but we wanted to showcase the TaylorMade Stealth Driver. And, and, you know, Gene has talked about from the robot side. I mean, we've seen some really impressive ball speed numbers. Uh, I've, you know, even Scotty Scheffler was, was about plus three with the Stealth in his hands in terms of ball speed from where he was with his previous driver. And most of the TaylorMade staffers were at least two plus miles an hour increase in ball speed. So we knew the ball speed was good, but <laughs> guys, I, I saw something last week that I have not seen so far. So we had two two guys. Um, we had Matt and Luke, and they were these they were there with a with a couple other guys. They're from Kansas City, and they were truly awesome to hang out with last week. We we had a great time chatting with them. And at one point, they mentioned they had a sim too, and I thought, man, it'd be kind of cool to get some head to head testing just some average golfers and just let them like, let them rip. They, they had their gamer shafts. We put it into the SIM two. We put the same shaft that they were using into the stealth. And I watched both of them gain six and seven miles an hour of ball speed with the stealth. Damn. Wow. Over SIM two. I mean, that's over SIM two. We're not talking SIM. We're not talking <clears throat> M series here. We're talking, we're talking SIM two. And it was, it was, I mean, they were going after it with both drivers. It wasn't like they were, we were asking them to let off the gas. We're going to have video up on golf.com from, from the evening at the brewery. But yeah, they gained six and seven miles an hour of additional ball speed. Wow. It was truly a sight to behold. And I mean, it, it begs the question, same shaft. Same shaft. Same shaft. So all we're apples making is a head change. One yep. generation and new innovation with tech, and we pick up six, seven miles an hour ball speed. Yeah. That's impressive. I mean, that's that's definitely right. a testament to gear. All right. I'm going to be a pain in the ass here. So did you did you flip the order on each one of them? Flip the order? No, we did, we did so, sim, sim 2 first, then stealth. Okay. All right. There's a little bit of testing bias in that that sometimes guys oh. get warm up. Well, they, just... they were already, they were already warm at that point. They had been pounding balls for hours because we had okay. the uh, foresight provided their sim in a box. So oh, we awesome. we had yeah we had we had the screen we had the GC quad there and it was it was a proper setup. So they had been banging balls for a while and and didn't need to get warm. I but I agree if if we had just had them get in there and hit a few balls and and just try and get warmed up, I could have seen some testing bias, but but they had been whacking balls for a while with the driver. Okay. 
All right. Just, just asking. Just yeah, asking. I know. I appreciate that. You got, you got to keep me honest there, Gene. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you have to ask. It, it's, it's a thing. It was, that's why I was curious about the shaft. Did we, did we just yeah. pop the head yeah. off? The shaft, the, head is, on? the shaft is valid as well. Absolutely. Sure. Oh, hundred percent. It is. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk master's gear changes as well. As I mentioned last week on the pod, pretty quiet week for gear. There was one change that just blew me away because as everybody knows who listens to this podcast weekly, I live for the minutia, not the big gear changes, not driver heads or anything like that, but, but the tweaks to lie angle and loft and changing the gapping of wedges, like that stuff to me is, is the most interesting. And I think a lot of people out there who listen to the pod would agree. This one is certainly in the category of gear minutia. I was actually, I'll, I'll tell you something. I was on the truck last, last week on Wednesday, right after this happened. And it was, it was kind of interesting to get some insights from the Titleist guys on the work that they had to perform. I would say it was, it was surgery to, to Scotty Scheffler's Scotty Cameron putter. He's using that timeless tour type GSS. He had switched to it back at the, at back at the Phoenix open. And so Scotty's putter was going to get a once over from Drew Page. Drew Page is the Scotty Cameron tour rep. And he said a lot of the things that he does during a major week is he'll just bring the putters in that guys are using and just give it the once over. Check and loft, check and lie, making sure everything is kind of where it's supposed to be because these guys are using their putters a lot more than the average Joe. So there's a possibility that loft or line could change. So he throws Scotty's putter in the loft and lie machine and I'll quote him. He said, I put it in the loft and lie machine and it was significantly off, not just by one degree, but by multiple degrees, both ways, meaning not just loft, but also lie angle, which doesn't happen very often. That's when I checked the shaft and I could see that it was bent. So it's oh. really interesting because he it, Drew told me that when he put it into the loft and lie machine, it wasn't until the light in the truck, those those really those you know, bright halogen lights hit the shaft at a certain angle where you could see there was a dent in the shaft. And so he informed Scotty on a Wednesday, like, hey, I'm, you know, are you good if we change out this shaft? Because not only has Scotty Scheffler been just boat racing the competition, but he's been doing it with a putter that apparently wasn't to his usual loft and lie specs. But it begs the question, I think a lot of people were, had, were asking and also wondering, like, how does this happen? And, you know, it could happen one of two ways. One way is a player gets pissed and he slams his club against the bag and maybe catches his putter and maybe it dents the shaft. Now, looking at Scotty Scheffler's demeanor, I don't think it was that. I think, maybe, I think maybe somebody mishandled the bag his travel bag and chucked, chucked it and maybe it lands funny and the shaft on the putter kind of catches something else and it dents it. So that's, that's my guess is it probably was during, it was probably dented in transit, but Drew ends up having to replace the shaft and the grip. Now tour pros, a lot of them, I will say are superstitious. And if you're going to change, especially on a putter that Scotty Scheffler I mean, he's been 
he's been red hot with that putter. Changing a piece of that putter, I would say part of the putter DNA, some guys are going to be a little bit leery of like, well, what's this change going to do? Am I going to notice? Is it going to feel different to me? And yep. Scotty goes out and he wins the Masters. Clearly, there was no issue with the shaft, but it did remind me of a story. Tony Finau, when he was testing a new uh, Garson putter grip on his ping putter, he had one that was green that had his foundation logo on it. And you'd think a grip, I mean, he has a foundation logo on this new grip, pull off the old gamer grip, plop the new one on. Nope. Tony Finau asked Ping to build him a brand new putter to spec so that he could test it out with that grip to make sure everything was okay. And so far, he hasn't put that grip in play. He's still in the gamer grip. And I saw both putters when I was hanging out with him in Phoenix about a month ago. And yeah, it's, it's some guys are superstitious even when it comes down to just the grip and the, it's, you know, the same thing, but you've got a worn grip and you like the way that it feels. But again, Scotty Scheffler is not in that camp and he's totally fine changing not just the, the shaft on the putter, but also the grip. Again, well, you know, what, love the minutia. What's, what, what's fascinating about that is I had a, uh, a, a shaft tour rep out one time doing testing and he told me about, he was walking down the range and he looked in the bag of a three time major winner and his three wood shaft was visibly bent. His three wood shaft was, <laughs> and he walked up to him and said, Hey, we need to swap out your three wood shaft. It's bent. And the guy said, no, <laughs> and wouldn't do Don't it. You know, it. Don't touch it. His three wood shaft is bit. I mean, that's just insane. But, you know, the, I think the greatest of all that, you know, that I heard was, you remember when Furick uh, had the Strixon driver and, you know, it, it, it broke and Strixon and I, I, I Strixon has been a client of mine. I mean, the Japanese have OCD when it comes to exact specifications and Burek claimed that he never could get a driver head that, you know, was the same as that one that was winning for him. And I'm sure that made their heads explode in Japan. But, you know, yeah, it, 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 is, it is amazing. But I think it's a testament to what we've been talking about with Scheffler. You know, he signed the deal with TaylorMade. He got rid of his Nike 3 wood that he's had forever. It was just like. Well, just kind of a shrug. I'll hit this three wood well, and he does. So, I mean, I, I don't know, Jay. While you tell me, is is he a gearhead? Because he seems to be kind of blasé about a lot of things that other players are really, really intense about. I don't think so. I wouldn't. I, I would love to have just time to go one on one and talk gear with Scotty because my assumption is that he's not a gearhead but then you look at his setup and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of different brands in the bag i mean he has some shrick song clubs at the top of his iron set <clears throat> he's got the you know he's got lead tape on one iron in particular on his tailor-made p7tws it, it just to me it it makes me wonder if he's just a closet gearhead i don't know because because his setup is is so unique and he he seemed to really embrace the free agency when he was a free agent. 
And that would lead me to believe that he he cares and he understands what's going on. Maybe I'm completely off. He he could know nothing about it and he just might be relying on the reps. But that would be my guess. I think I think he's maybe a closet gearhead. Yeah, I think I think he likes to tinker a little bit. I yeah. just it, spending some time out on tour and working with a lot of those guys and I mean grabbing lead tape and throwing it on a single iron. That's that's probably going to be more player doing tinkering than it is a tour rep. A tour rep's going to go, yeah, I'll build you a new one. Yeah, exactly. The the only other change that caught my eye last week, and if you want to check out the weekly gear notes, go to golf.com. I've got a full rundown on everything from Augusta. The only other one that that stood out was Charles Schwartzel, former Masters champion. He mentioned that one of the things he did leading up to this year's Masters was he watched footage of himself winning at Augusta in the past. He hadn't been playing that well. And I, I think I had looked before before last week. He only had two top 10 finishes in his last 11 Masters starts. And one of those was his win back in 2011. But it was interesting. One of the the things that he did in addition to watching footage was he worked with the guys over at Artisan Golf Mike Taylor, we've had Mike on the pod before, and he worked with with Artisan. And you know, one of the interesting things is, if you don't know, Mike Taylor and a bunch of the guys over at Artisan, they were building the clubs at the Tour Pros, including Charles Schwartzel, who's a former Nike staffer. I mean, those guys were working out of the oven there in Fort Worth. They're still at the old oven facility now with Artisan, but they worked with Charles to build him a set of blades that mimicked those Nike VR Pro blades that he was using in the past back when he won the 2011 Masters. So he puts those artisan irons in the bag and lo and behold, he has a top 10 finish. So yeah, I thought, again, I just think it's interesting because one, it's artisan. So guys aren't getting paid to play those irons. That's a tour pro going to artisan and saying, hey, can you help me build a set? And the other thing that I always find interesting is the artisan irons, they're not selling those. If you go to their website, they're doing wedges and putters. So for gearheads out there, they're probably going like, what the heck? Why can't I get a set of those? But you don't have a tour card. You don't have a you don't have a green jacket, and you got to know somebody to to get Mike T and the crew over there to to make you a set. I have heard of of those iron sets trickling out, but they're to elite players. So maybe yep. you never know. I asked Mike, and I keep asking him, when are you gonna when are you gonna do irons? They're just so busy over there. I just don't. I think that if they started doing irons, they I think they would just be overwhelmed. The, their their log as far as bringing in guys and, and letting them get fit for a set of wedges, they're they are backed up like crazy and rightfully so because you get to work with Mike T, you get to work with with the goat, so it's uh it's always going to be tough to get a spot in there. Anyway, I thought that was an interesting one. All right, before we discuss our latest Robo Test, want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by the good folks at Golf Pride and the new CPX grip. You've heard us talk about it. It is Golf Pride's softest performance grip yet. It's made with an exo diamond quilted pattern. That pattern was actually 
uh, derived from BMX bike grips. It's going to help reduce the vibrations in your hands. So as you would expect, this is a crazy soft grip. If you play on, you know, at this time of the year, you're probably not playing it. Cold weather's gone. We're into spring, into summer coming up. So you're probably not going to have any days with frost delays, but if you play it on a cold morning, these grips would be perfect for your game because again, they have that extra diamond quilted pattern. They're supposed to help reduce vibrations. It's got a really soft feel. Um, you know, I, I did say last week when we were talking about them, if you're on the if you're on the older end of the the age spectrum and you're a golfer, these are a great grip to just kind of help reduce those vibrations. But anyway, if you want to check out more info on the new CPX grip, go over to golfpride.com or one of your local retailers to give this grip a test run. All right. Gene, we had our latest robo test. As I place the headline up here, it seems a little bit of a clickbaity headline, I will admit, but it was gain 17 yards with this simple driver ball, uh, driver ball position change. And we did an angle of attack test. This is part one of our angle of attack test with Gene's robot, where we took a 10.5 degree driver and made some changes to T position. Gene, take it away. Well, I'm a little disappointed in you, Jonathan, because in actuality, you could have gone a little bigger with the headline and saying gain 21 yards because we had an extra four if we got up to plus four. So. I know, but I wanted, I didn't want to go that far. You know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to keep it within reason, Gene. Yeah, if it's too good to be true. No, it's, it's, it's absolutely interesting, and it, you know, before we get into the results, ultimately what it's about is everything in a golf swing is on an arc, and what we found, and we didn't really start looking at it until about maybe 10 years ago. I mean, golfers knew it, especially elite golfers intuitively, but we didn't use it as a metric, was this angle of attack, and what it means is when you come on the downside of the swing, it's negative. When you're at six o'clock, it's neutral. And when you're on the upside of the swing, it's positive. And we knew that play the ball back in the stance, you hit it lower, it spins more. You play it forward in the stance, you hit it higher, and it spins less. But we didn't really quantify that. And one of the kind of the breakthroughs was uh, Foresight's GC Quad is really accurate at measuring angle of attack. And in doing so, we're able to, uh, with the robot, get down to, you know, 0 0.2, 0 0.4 degrees and really get to tight numbers and determine. And so what we did in this test is we started at negative four. And, you know, full honesty, negative four is probably a real high handicap golfer. And that's, that's a golfer who comes over the top. I'll be just perfectly frank. It's a bad golfer, but there's a lot of bad golfers out there. And then we went negative two, which is now in the bell curve, probably a decent chunk of players. Then we went to zero, which from negative two to zero, you're probably 50, 60% of the players, maybe 70 then we went positive to now you're getting on the other side of the bell curve and you're getting into the better players and tour players. And then we went positive four and positive four is guys like Bryson and, and a lot of these kind of elite players 
uh, that are really swinging up on the ball. A lot of them are swinging inside out. But uh, from negative four to zero, there was 17 yards. And then as we went up, we gained four yards. Now, but this was all with the 10.5 lofted head. You got to remember this. If you're negative four, you probably want like a 12 degree lofted head to compensate for that. And if you're positive four, you probably want an eight degree head. So if we kind of maximized for heads, uh, I still think you would be somewhere between 15 and 20 yards just due to the spin um, conditions of the club as it comes through. So the, the overall, uh, I think, message of the test is most golfers and I, I, I work with players all the time. They have no idea where they're teeing the ball. They don't know left heel with the driver center. They just tee the ball and hit the ball. And then they're always shocked by the results when you show them, okay, if we move the ball forward, it's going to hit the ball higher and to the left. If we move it back, it's going to hit it lower and to the right. So the overall message of this is to get on a launch monitor, determine what your angle of attack is, and then have someone show you how to move forward if you want to maximize distance. Um, and there's a lot of yards to be gained if you're anywhere from negative four, probably down to about negative one. How, you know, and I, as I was going through the data for this, it, one of the questions that popped up is something that I'm sure a lot of mid handicappers are going to be asking, how difficult is it to, to change my angle of attack? You know, it, it, it can be a challenge, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we swing on an arc, and we swing about ourselves. <clears throat> so we don't swing on a pendulum, meaning that we go straight back and straight through. The only shot we hit with that is about a 20-yard wedge shot where, you know, you take it straight back and straight through. And as you swing on that arc, what happens is we have players that, you know, they – they go after it early and it causes them to throw the club out versus better players start slowly and they come inside. So it really uh, is swing path dependent from a training standpoint and a teaching standpoint. So, you know, from my recommendation, you really want to get with a good teacher that can start working with you on this because as with anything with golf, it is so difficult to self-diagnose. Even if you have a, even if you have multiple cameras set up, you don't have the knowledge base to know exactly what you're doing. And then to really be accurate at it, you need a launch monitor and a launch monitor that can give you swing path and attack angle like the quad. And, um, and then you have to be able to interpret those numbers. So if you just want to play golf, which the majority of us do, let someone who knows what those numbers are work with you to get this. The, the good news, though, is um, once you have those numbers and once you have this kind of like a learning path, it's exciting. You tell somebody, hey, you could be hitting the ball 20 yards further and two clubs less into greens. I mean, that's like a that's like a holy grail for a lot of players. Unfortunately, they just don't have the roadmap on how to get there. And it is possible and it, it is attainable, but you've got to get your numbers to figure out how to, how to get there. If I can uh, chime in with a couple of things that we do from a fitting perspective, and you can actually help a player shallow out their angle of attack 
going a little bit longer on the shaft as well. So mm-hmm. building a driver that's a touch longer instinctively will get a player a little bit more rounded and can also encourage more of a in-to-out path with a positive angle of attack. Uh, T-height is a simple one as well. I mean, we'll show players uh, just making a simple ball position change and adjusting T-height can also encourage uh, directional changes as well as We did a test on that. Yeah, as well (laughs) as changing angle of attack. Um, And the other kind of interesting one that I wanted to circle back with you on, Gene, is the, the static loft of a driver when it comes to the relationship of player skill level angles that they produce and kind of where a player would go uh, if they are negative or positive. Uh, From testing with several different demographics of players, visual perception on shape and how a player perceives loft on a head is kind of interesting. We've seen players that can take a nine degree lofted head and not see the loft, therefore they make a static adjustment in their setup and their ball position and how they deliver the head and actually improve their angle of attack from negative to positive just by taking loft away from them. And the other, it's, it's, it's really weird. And it's, it's kind of interesting from the perspective of visual perception is completely individualized to the player. I mean, just like feel, nobody can pretend and tell somebody what it is that they feel. So mm-hmm. like, for example, I have a, a tour player, a PGA tour player that I work with relatively often and his visual perception, he has to see loft on the club face, but he's very specific in the sense that he wants to hit it in a certain launch window. So we've had to do a little bit of tinkering with the optics of the driver to still maintain 11 plus degrees of static loft on the head, but with where his club head speed is 113, 114 miles an hour, and he's positive with his angle of attack, we've had to get creative with optics to where he still sees the loft, but manipulating that particular head and shaft setup produces a, a, a launch window that isn't just an absolute moon ball with a ton of spin, and then the angle of descent is you know, basically worthless for him as a player. So it's it just, is just re- real quick on that, Chris. Does he deloft coming into into impact? I mean, is, are his hands ahead to achieve that? Because to get yes. that eleven, you know, on a positive, you, you, I mean, that's really that's really fascinating. It is so ball position, t height, and then also his dynamics as a player when it comes to how he returns that club through impact is, is very unique, but his visual preference and what he likes to see is he likes to see static loft at address. So we've had to be kind of creative with the optics package that we give him in regards to the contrast of face and crown. Where does the leading edge go? The shape of the overall head. And then also a little bit of internal weight manipulation when it comes to placement of hot melt just to maintain those launch characteristics that he wants to see. Gotcha. Wow. Small story coming based off of this conversation. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on there. But bottom line, I think we can all agree if you want to gain distance, you're going to have to start either hitting up on the ball, changing TI position. I mean, there are ways to do it without having to to get new gear, but doing that, it's easier said than done. Well, I was going to close out this week's pod, but I almost forgot before we started this podcast this week, Gene informed me that I missed 
a groundbreaking gear change? Could that really be? I, I don't know. Gene, what did I miss? So, Jonathan, I consider you a pro's pro. You know that. But how you let but. this... But... <laughs> uh-huh yeah yeah uh-huh how how you let this one slip through the cracks i do not know but i think this was the most significant story might be one it it i mean there could be lawsuits involved in this it's absolutely fascinating to me but this week now i haven't independently verified this so you know from a journalistic integrity standpoint this may or may, may not be true but it has been posted on the internet. Somebody had a chipper the, in the bag. The club manufactured by Mexican mini tour legend and all around good guy. Here we go. Was rejected by the USGA as non-conforming. And I just the camel toe technology. The camel toe technology. And I just have to read a couple of, it's actually a punch out club. And I just have to read a couple of the, uh, lines from the usga rejection which may or may not be true i'm not it sure if truly it was amazing Pools, but it says this is a club with three sides designed to punch out of the shit and in parentheses it says manufacturer's description not ours <laughs> and it says <laughs> in regards to the xe 747 so-called proprietary camel toe technology our research department found no technological benefits whatsoever in this design. It's basically just the image of a camel emblazoned <laughs> on the toe of a club. No evidence was found to support the manufacturer's claim that these humps create an energy dispersion chain reaction that enlarges the sweet spot on this. You can't even finish. <laughs> You can't even finish the sentence. It's it's just so preposterous. I love it. I saw I saw him post that online, and oh. I just I, I died laughing. It was great. I I hope it's I hope it's legitimate. I hope that is a legitimate letter from the USGA. I probably should so follow the, up with them. And so check. I the only the only smoking gun is they have a stamp up on the upper right because I actually Googled and looked at conforming letters, and so. He oh, thinks no. this might be a hoax, but regardless, what a was beautiful. beautiful piece of writing that was. And so I I played with the guy yesterday who bought one for his boss. <laughs> I, I was actually going to say, I am going to go onto eBay immediately or track this website down and get one before they're gone. I, I feel like I need to own the camel toe technology. It's going to bless. It's, it's going to help. It's the, most, it's the most significant advance I've seen in the last, I don't know, 10, 20 days at least. So, you know. At least. At least. Innovative. <laughs> innovative. Innovative. Well, there we go. Well, at least, at least if I'm going to miss a club, I'm, you know, if, if it's the camel toe technology, it's okay. It You're wasn't on Getty images, Jay. Well, you, you didn't find it just scouring Getty. That wasn't that wasn't out there. I, I didn't. I did not see Colin Morikawa or <laughs> Tiger Woods or anybody of significance with this club in the bag. Maybe we will. Still early in the season. We might see. Still one. early. Still early. All right. With that, <laughs> I think it's a perfect <laughs> spot to wrap up episode 136 of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want the social media goodness, 
pertaining to our gear coverage, check us out on Twitter. We're at full underscore equipped on Instagram. We are at full equipped golf. Thanks as always for listening. Love you club bro guy. See you next week. <laughs>